folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Episode of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. What is up, Courtney? Just making my way through week five. Can't wait for Sunday night football. Biggest game ever. Primetime narrative with Kirk is back. I mean, this is this is as big as it gets. I mean, you don't just walk into Seattle to CenturyLink Field and think you're going to win. With or without the 12th man. I don't know about you, but this is the biggest game I mean, I think I've ever covered. <laughs> uh, yeah, that trip in 2017 to Philly is nothing compared to this, which we'll both be watching from home because there's no point in traveling, which I'm sad about. But I love what you're bringing to the table here, and that's how I want to talk about this game because we have discussed on the podcast throughout this week you know, all the implications of Jordan Jefferson and sort of talked ad nauseum about the future after they were 0-2 and then 0-3 about – you know, do you, uh, I don't know, do this or that with Kirk Cousins and yield for fields or fail for fields, or there's a couple more that I've seen that people threw to me. But this is big, and I really mean it. I'm not kidding, because the season can shift so vastly on this game. And when you look at the rest of the NFC, there's a lot of bad in the NFC. One team already benched their quarterback, and I can tell you that Kyle Allen is not going to change Washington football team's fate for this season. Uh, so you have all, all the other teams that are struggling, the entire NFC East. And if you go to two and three with a win on the road against the four and O team, all of a sudden you feel like playoffs, baby. You feel like you're right back in it. If you lose, then you say they are who we thought they were. So let's start out with this of just the magnitude of this game. I think it actually is big in terms of swinging, which direction this season could go. Sure, especially with the fact that you have the bye coming up soon. So let's say for the purpose of, you know, predicting how this could go, the Vikings win in Seattle. They pull off a late game thriller. Kirk Cousins gets carried off the field. <laughs> uh, Russell Wilson is crying, whatever. Like, Blair Walsh and then misses a field goal for Seattle, wide left. Yeah. Yes, something like that. Um, and then – you know, they come home, they beat Atlanta, they get another coach fired uh, on the Monday after the game in Dan Quinn, which that's my bold prediction. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. That's absolutely going to be my bold prediction going into week seven. Um, or we're going into week six that they get Dan Quinn fired because they will beat them at home. Because I don't know who Atlanta has this week. I think it's the Panthers. Uh, if they can pull off a win there and then they completely collapse here in Minnesota, I think that's what it's going to take for Dan Quinn to get fired. So kudos to the Vikings for getting that one, but two coaches removed from their post. Um, but then it's like you go into the bye, and if let's say you're three and three at that point, season is completely within reach. Like it's honestly, I know we say this about a lot of teams, like look how quickly the turnaround happened. Look how quickly things change. 
Here, I think it's actually like a legit thing to say because Mm -hmm. this was a team after week two that looked awful, that looked like it couldn't figure out what the heck was going on and that it was going to be the longest of long seasons because everybody was injured on defense. You had no real hope there that your cornerback unit was going to be able to sustain, um, you know, anything throughout the year. And certainly I think that that's, still the biggest concern um you know they're the offense is going to have to get in shootouts to win games but at least now they have the formula to win and they know what they have to do with Dalvin Cook they know what they have to do with Thielen and Jefferson and they know what they have to do with Cousins too um but it's not like it's like oh we're still trying to figure out how to win they know what the formula is it's just now can they do it multiple points throughout this year and if they're three and three going into the bye and then they come out and punch Green Bay in the mouth um, I think that's their first game. Yeah, coming out of the bye on eleven one. Um, then I think you're you're kind of in a great spot right there. So I think truly these next three games could help decide the season for Minnesota. And that's why the magnitude of this Seattle game, it being on Sunday night football, the whole world's watching to see are the Vikings able to turn this thing around or are they who we thought they were? We start to get those questions answered on Sunday night. And a three and three start to the season would actually be about where we thought they were going to be anyway. It just wouldn't be in the order that we thought it was going to happen. Again, if they pull a very big upset against the Seattle Seahawks, but we'll talk about how like the route that they need to take in order for that to happen. But when you look at the schedule going forward, okay, so you've got the 0-4 Falcons. If you beat Seattle, you feel very confident about that. That's at home. Yeah. The, the next home game, because they do go to Green Bay, but the next home Home game is against the Lions. They have one win. Mm-hmm. The next home game after that against the Cowboys. They have one win. Then it's the Panthers at home. They have two wins. Then it's Jacksonville. They have one win. Then it's Chicago at home, which you can beat. And then it's Detroit at home, which you can beat. Like all of a sudden, if you win this one on the road, you get that one big victory. Your home schedule the rest of the way looks like you could win almost every one of those games. And and we would start to believe because they would have to have a very good showing against Seattle. They would have to look like they did last week against Houston and the week before against Tennessee offensively in order to beat Seattle. But then we're going to look forward and go, well, if they're going to play this way on offense on a week-to-week basis, then they're going to be able to beat a lot of those teams along the way going forward. Now, the opposite side of this is if you get your face trounced by the Seattle Seahawks, one in four, even if you do have an easy home schedule the rest of the way, is just too much. And then all of a sudden you say, well, I'm not sure they'll sweep the Lions. I'm not sure they'll beat the Cowboys. I'm not sure they'll beat the Panthers. I mean, you can't really write in anyone in pen if they get killed in this game. Here's a thought, because as you say that and you, th- and you put out there one in four, and let's say for all intents and purposes, season is done at one in four, like, not saying why try, but also saying be smart with it. Like, does your philosophy that you now have on offense, does it change? Because you're trying to preserve Dalvin Cook, let's say, for 2021, where you're not trying to put 300-plus touches on his body in 2020 if you're like, well, we're in a one-in-four hole, and can we make the playoffs at 7-9? and nine? Sure, but, like, is this a team that's built for right now to actually win something? Probably not at that point. So I think it honestly brings up serious questions that you have to think about um, just as far as like the longer term health of the, of this offense and of this team that are not easy decisions to make for, for anybody, for the coaching staff, for the front office, for things like that. So if I I know that, like, I mean, you've kind of got me in this vacuum where I'm thinking this is absolutely must win for them in order for the rest of the season, because if you're able to beat them and then go three and three, and then you have a really good chance then to come out and beat Green Bay. Although the Packers are playing out of their minds right now. Do you, I don't know. Yep. I don't know if you think that that's going to fall off the cliff at some point soon. But even without their top receiver, like you know, th- this is a type of offense where I'm like, huh, I wonder if the Vikings could do that with their tight ends because that's what I expected uh, that to look like this season. But we just haven't seen that truly come to fruition. But then. You know, the Lions are beatable. The Bears are certainly beatable. The Cowboys are not very good. I'm tired of them being on nationally televised games. <laughs> Take them off my freaking TV. The Panthers are bad. Jaguars are bad. Like, you're right. It is a good schedule, but it's like, is the Seattle game necessary in order for them to beat all those other teams? Not truly. 
but that would be the biggest momentum swing that they would have. And that's their marquee and their signature win that I think really truly helps them in terms of a resume of like, are you a legit team? That one certainly helps. You would have to sweep the home schedule basically to even have a chance to get in the playoffs. And that's not going to happen. One of these games won't go right. Maybe, you know, they lose to Dallas or something or eh, Teddy, Teddy. I mean, you know, Playing pretty good so far. So, I mean, that touchdown run was awesome. That's like a classic Vikings thing to do to lose to Teddy Bridgewater at U.S. Bank Stadium, but it would feel uh, much more winnable if you're grading your team based on how you just beat the Seattle Seahawks, who are a Super Bowl favorite for a lot of people right now in the NFC. So, let's talk about this. I'm going to bring this back. We had this last year uh, on the old show, which was Path to Victory because it sounds very NFL filmsy. And we haven't been able to do this really since week one path to victory because nothing has felt like it mattered and so this is why I I really want to turn the this matters to 11 here with this game because it might kind of feel like the last one where we are really uh, jacked about one so path to victory when it comes to the Vikings offense beating the Seattle Seahawks defense because that that's where it all starts here if you can repeat what you've done the last two weeks you've got a shot even if your defense is not good no Completely agree. And when you think about, like, I think the over-under for this game is 57 and a half, right? Something absurd like that because you have, or 56 and a half, whatever it is. Um, you have two offenses that are potent. I think one is probably a little bit better and high, more high-powered uh, with Russell Wilson and just kind of how good they've looked this year and they've really truly changed their philosophy. It's amazing how the adaptation process into what the league is today of like, yeah, let Russ cook. Okay. That means let Russell Wilson throw the ball, like completely changing your philosophy to where you a run heavy team to where you're letting your quarterback set up everything. Um, I think that's terrific, but you know, neither of these defenses are any good right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know, you're not putting up, any of them is, you know, they're in the bottom half of, you know, really the bottom part of the NFC period. But um, I think the formula they have, like, you know, for the Vikings, for example, like when you have Thielen and Jefferson going for over a hundred yards each game, and now that you have two legitimate options, like it's not like you can just like pin all the attention over on Adam Thielen or pin all of the attention on Justin Jefferson. Like one of my fantasy questions I had to answer this week was, is Jefferson going to go for another 100-yard game? And I said yes, because, yeah, he's, he's an instant star, or whatever Pete Carroll called him. Um, and it's not just, you know, there's so many factors that goes into it. It's it's the way he runs his routes. It's the way that he fights for contested balls. And it's the way that, you know, he has these natural ability things that show up on the All-22 that you're like, wow, that is the true sign of a first-round wide receiver. It's been a while for the Vikings since they've had a first-round wide receiver that's actually panned out to be a first-round talent wide receiver. So um, you see all of those things, but you also realize that, you know, just because you throw it, you know, if you were to bracket him or, you know, give him extra attention doesn't mean he's not going to be able to, you're just going to shut him down in that way because he's a special player. And I think that, um, you know, I heard the Keenan Allen, comparison to him the other day from ESPN uh, NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky and I was like wow that actually makes a whole ton of sense I never thought of it like that um, just a lot of similarities between between those two so um, you know can the Vikings offense win this game if they stick to the formula that they had and getting those two making sure that those two were like their focal point obviously with Cook involved too but you know, Seattle's run defense is going to be vastly better, I think, than what you saw with uh, Houston. And the fact that, you know, the Seahawks are giving up 94 catches for 1,345 yards to receivers in four games. Exploit that weakness because this is, an, this is a defense that's on pace to give up like 5,300 yards to receivers alone this season. Yeah, and Mike Zimmer said, "Oh, well, that's because they've been ahead a lot." And that's somewhat eh, true, but the not team's entirely. Trying to, yes, team's yeah. trying to like keep up the pace and, and play with um, you know, trying to keep up with the pace of the offense for Seattle and then that's, you know, what you're doing. You're you're having a very pass-happy attack that you're going to have to defend, but I also think the reason you're the worst pass defense in the NFL is because you're the worst pass defense in the NFL. Right. I don't I don't really think it has anything to do with oh well they're trying to keep up with the other team. 
You know, I think another part of it too is their commitment to playing a single high safety. And, yeah. you know, I know that uh, Gary Kubiak said, well, hey, like they do it really well though. And, and they know exactly what they're doing. That is true. But we saw last week against Houston, how the Vikings know how to take advantage of when teams play a single high safety is that they start running these deep routes that cross each other or that are double moves. And you can only put a safety over one guy. And if there's even the slightest miscommunication, or the slightest opening that either Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson is going to be open. And this is a point I wanted to make about this game and why I'm really intrigued by it is because I think Gary is getting it. Like, I think Gary has seen what he has and kind of fully understands what he has and has started to push the right buttons over the last couple of weeks. And when I look back at the tape, I was blown away how often they used max protection and only sent Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen out. Now, Gary makes a key point that Delvin Cook is a big part of that in drawing eight men to the box. That's what Seattle's going to do, though. And so I, I looked this up. Kyle Rudolph had the, it was either third or fourth most pass blocking snaps of all tight ends in the NFL last week, which I'm sure he was thrilled about. But that's a huge deal because they struggle enough to protect Kirk Cousins. This is not a great pass rushing team, but you're giving him extra time. He was one of the tops in terms of holding on to the ball for a long time in Houston, but that's because they were running people down the field and they were confusing the three deep coverages and finding ways to get Jefferson and to get Thielen open. And I don't see how that changes when you go to Seattle and you play a defense that plays very similarly to what Houston was trying to do. And I also at this point, do not see anybody slowing down Delvin Cook, especially a team that does not have an impressive defensive line at this point. Yeah, and I think that Gary said it um, in his press conference this week. You know, Pete Carroll built that defense. Uh, Ken Norton, who was with him initially in Seattle before coming back to Seattle in 18, built that defense. Well, I covered the Raiders in 2016, and they ran that same defense, and they couldn't stop anybody on the back end, which – you know, I just remember, like, thinking, okay, it's amazing to me this year, at least, the the parallels that I have been able to draw from that 2016 Raiders team. And I know I've brought it up on the show before uh, between, you know, the fourth quarter comeback stuff with Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, a lot of those things. Um, but defensively, when Gary said that, my head was like, wait a second, like – they were good up front that year, but like honestly, the year that I covered them, but um, they they were just they couldn't stop anybody. Like that's like the problem that with this single high defense um, that they've been running. I mean, like you mentioned, it, what's Jeff, Justin Jefferson good at? What have we seen? Those deep crossing routes yep. and those deep yep. overs. Like that's what they ran. That's the reason he has like this absurd like yards per catch average. What is it like nearly twenty two yards, something crazy like that? Yep. That could come down. It probably will come down, but they do run a lot of these deep overs in this offense, and that's how you attack defenses that have no help on the back end, and you leave them exposed and vulnerable. I mean, that's why quarters coverage works so well to defend against things like that, and you're not seeing that. Um, I don't know. Like it, it, my, my thought process is always, do they change it? Do they figure it out this week because it hasn't worked the first four weeks of the year where they're giving up? you know, a ton of different, what was it? Gave up 25 points to Atlanta, 30 to New England, 31 to Dallas, 23 to Miami, and they won all those games. I mean, you know, at some point, is there is there going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back? It could very easily be this week because look at those teams. Like, Dallas has multiple good receivers. Atlanta, had at that time, when everybody was healthy, had multiple good receivers. Like, it's not, you know, out of the realm of possibility, though, that the way that the Vikings are playing right now and the way that Thielen and Jefferson are playing in conjunction with Cousins and Cook, that they could potentially trump that, I think, and, and be the first team that's able to beat this type of defense because Russell Wilson can't overcome all of that of his defense. Want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get all of your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen it yet, you've got to check it out. A couple of my favorite designs are of the purple people eaters and the hooked-on-a-thielin look for all of you fans of a particular Detroit Lakes native receiver. All their apparel screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You'll love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's 
sodastick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, original Minnesota sports-inspired goods, code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. So here's a crazy stat for you. And again, this is the path to victory. It's not us guaranteeing a victory. But uh, pulling up the pro football focus numbers for the defense uh, on Seattle's side. And this we've seen this before. If you have a good defensive line, you beat the Minnesota Vikings. You win. Like, we could pick mm-hmm. games on who has a great defensive line. Uh, last week, J.J. Watt's great. He's really the only great player on that D-line. But Tennessee, they win with multiple good players on the defensive line. Uh, Indianapolis, multiple good players. And especially DeForest Buckner and Green Bay always beats them with Zadarius Smith. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so like this week they have less than nobody with Seattle. Think about how much opposing teams have passed against them. Afadia Denebo for the Vikings has more pressures than anyone on the Seattle Seahawks and second on their team in pressures is Jamal Adams, who is not going to not play. Not playing, yeah. He's second on their team in pressures with nine. Their leader only has 10. I mean, it's really amazing to me that they have put zero pressure whatsoever on the quarterback so far. And if they can't do that, then the Vikings should be able to take advantage and maybe not even have to send out uh, only two wide receivers. But your point is right on that. I think we've seen this in the past. If teams do not play two deep safeties against the Vikings, then they get beat by Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Well, now it's Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. And the fact last week there was a there were a few routes that he ran where it's like, I didn't expect him to be this detailed in his route running yet so far. I know. Pro I mean, style route tree, man, they exist for rookie receivers. I did not think they did, but they do. <laughs> Not in the first two weeks, I guess. Um, so let's uh, let's switch over to the other side of the ball, though, because then this changes the tone a little bit. So path of victory for the Vikings defense is to bat a pass in the air and have someone pick it off and run it for a touchdown. I mean, Eric Hendricks still not practicing as of this recording for two straight days. He If he's out, I don't know how they stop a guy with 136 quarterback rating at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Russell Wilson is, I mean, I think it's kind of funny, actually. Um, today, when Ad, when um, Adam Zimmer and Andre Patterson were on the conference call, I think it was our colleague Chad Graff just talked about, you know, kind of just opening things up about Russell Wilson and figuring out, you know, what is he good at? What is he, does he have any weaknesses? Got any? And Andre Patterson just, like, laughed for 10 seconds, like, just giggled. Um because it's hard to honestly figure one out for him. I mean, this is a team that is certainly vulnerable because of its defense, but so far in four games, we have seen with this quarterback um, that there isn't much he's not able to overcome. I mean, he, you know, 16 passing touchdowns, it's tied for the most for, uh, for any team through the first four games in NFL history. Peyton Manning, I think, had that same amount in 2013 when he was with the Colts. Um and it, it's pretty amazing, like, just how good he is and what they're switching things up. And how they're switching things up, he's still able to, you know, be as dynamic as he is. Because, you know, I asked Mike Zimmer about this the other day. Like, what what does everybody talk about with Seattle's offense this year? Oh, well, they're not running the ball nearly as much on first and second down. They're not as predictable. But technically, they kind of are predictable because they're dropping back to pass on first down at the highest rate of Wilson's career, 57%. And what's he done in that? He's got 80, 81% of his first of his passes have gone for first downs this season. That's incredible. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, I don't know if that's a sustainable number, but that's something it's like, okay, so you're anticipating that he's going to throw the ball on first down. So be ready for it. Right. Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you expect that? So it's like, how do you, how do you game plan for that? Like, if you're, if you're the Vikings defense and you know you're probably going to be down another cornerback um, or two, potentially. I mean, probably at least one. Like, I don't know. Holton Hill did not practice. on. It didn't look like he was practicing when we were out there on Thursday afternoon. Chris Boyd, um, you know, coming back from the hamstring injury. Mike Hughes was practicing. So maybe you're not down a cornerback, but you're probably having a different starting lineup. You've had a different starting lineup with your corners every single week, weeks one through four. That can't possibly be good for continuity and for guys like being able to get the reps that they need to know how to play the position and be able to have carryover from week to week. And then you go against Russell Wilson. 
Right. And who, <laughs> so it's just like, good and, luck. Like, right. You're yeah. asking young corners to go against wide receivers that are going to be able to run their full routes because even if you pressure Russell Wilson, he'll find a way not to be pressured and to find yeah. space to throw. Here's the thing about the let Russ cook that maybe is being overlooked a little. I mean, of course, yes, they've decided as a staff, clearly in Seattle, hey, you know our all-time great quarterback? Maybe you just throw more. Good, good plan. But there's another element to this, that they stacked up a bunch of weapons that they just didn't have before. I mean, I, I remember talking about this maybe a year ago when we didn't know how good DK Metcalf was yet and saying, eh, you know, they've got Tyler Lockett, but I don't really know who else. Well, and David now, Moore, who's that guy? Right, right. And so now Moore is a good, like, number three receiver. Lockett is a superstar. And DK Metcalf is all of a sudden a superstar and is averaging 25 yards a catch and, like, low-key great signing for them was Greg Olson who has stayed healthy for them so they have a bunch of different people to throw the ball to and even Wilson is having a ton of success checking the ball down to Chris Carson where he's averaging uh, almost eight yards an attempt when throwing to him so suddenly just adding one or two more receivers having someone like DK Metcalf emerge everybody gets better after that and now you can throw all the time and you don't have to try and run and just hit throws to Tyler Lockett which you know, I kind of feel like that's a little bit of what the Vikings do is they run and then try to hit big throws to their two wide receivers. Mm-hmm. If they had four wide receivers who were great, they probably wouldn't do that. So every team sort of adjusts to what they have and what they're going up against. And with this Seattle team, it's the last thing in the world you ever wanted to see if you were the Vikings is them shift. Although last year they beat the heck out of the Vikings by just handing the ball off. Now, let me throw this out there, though. Russell Wilson against Mike Zimmer, as much as the Seahawks have beaten the Vikings, has not always been unbelievable against the Vikings defense. But that was kind of the last group of Vikings defense. Yeah. So you think it's relevant that it's Zimmer, Russell Wilson, or is this just just too different in terms of the personnel? I think Zimmer, Russell Wilson, and the disguises, the packages, the blitzes that he may use, anything like that, to try to keep this guy in the pocket, um, that stuff will, I think, is relevant. But it's like, this is a completely different defense. A defensive line, not the same defensive line that, that you know, saw Russell Wilson last year in December. The secondary, well, can it get worse than that 60-yard touchdown <laughs> that David Moore made himself famous for over Xavier Rhodes when Rhodes then had a tantrum on the sideline and mm-hmm. threw his helmet? Um, maybe. I mean, it could be worse, but it's a different backfield. Like, I think the only thing you can really take away is just how well they played the screens and how well they played against the running backs last year. But even still, like, your linebackers aren't at full strength. So I think you're um, probably in a in a pretty different situation, I think, all around. But, you know, it's hard to be able to look past it and be like, okay, well, Mike Zimmer's faced this guy a ton of times at least what six times I think mm-hmm. he's six no against the Vikings including that playoff including in the playoffs so um it's pretty it's pretty remarkable and I actually think that stat um yeah he's six no against the Vikings including the playoffs which is his most wins without a loss against a single opponent that's Russell Wilson that is so I mean that is really remarkable when you think about it all those years that he has won the battle um even if he hasn't played like his best ball against the Vikings like he still has been able to come out on top with six wins and to quote Krusty the Clown from the Simpsons I thought they were due would be maybe what you would use here uh I don't know that's a if you're a hardcore Simpsons fan you know the reference so uh here's what I want to do while we stay breaking down this game like it's a playoff game because it matters uh, I want you to tell me the three people on the Minnesota Vikings side if you want to have it be the coach or a coach, you can, um, who are the most under pressure. This would where uh, maybe I should hire, you know, Manny Hill to do like an under pressure and then, you know, have football music or something underneath it. But for the Vikings, three people going into this game that are under the most pressure. Do you want me to up the ante here and give you a percentage of who has the most pressure making this into a pie chart? I, yes, yes. Uh, this right. is a, this is an amazing turn of events. The fact that you are now offering to do pie charts. So, I mean, have at it. What do you want to do? Maybe four people then to make it a uh, rounded, yeah, we, perfectly rounded chart? 
We can absolutely do that. I, um, or do you want me to give you four people and you tell me who's under the most pressure? Yeah, let's do it that way because I would have to be like thinking and then I got to draw something and then I got to calculate percentages. And okay, this this right here, this is an audible. We went to the line of scrimmage and then we changed the play. You just so, kill play, kill play. <laughs> kill, 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 kill. kill. Uh, let's go. Um, okay, let's go. Kirk Cousins. Cousins. Uh, let us go with Mike Zimmer. It's kind of the, okay. the, the obvious two. First two that I had. I had oh, Holton Hill. Do you want to put him on there? Uh, I just well, don't know if he's playing yet. How about we do he's... this way? The corners. Okay. And um, either Justin Jefferson or Yannick Ngakwe, who do you want? I'll do Jefferson. Okay, Jefferson. So uh, you've got okay. Jefferson, Cousins, Zimmer, the corners. Okay, the most pressure on – all right, so. Who has the most pressure going into this game? Okay. And I'll just say this about Yannick Ngakwe. He's played out of his mind. Like he's, he's been good, really, really good. But this is why they got you. Like if you, well, if, thousand percent, yeah. Like we shouldn't be like praising something that you expect, right? I mean, last week you played against the team that fired their coach, and you kind of got like a cleanup type of sack. Uh, he got you know great rushes in the previous two games to pick up sacks. That's what he does. Hasn't been particularly great against the run. That's what he does. But strip sacking Russell Wilson in a game that really matters to your team, where teams are going to go back and forth and put up points against each other, this is you, guy. Like, if, the, if they're going to sign him to a long-term contract extension, this is the type of quarterback he has to sack. Also, Wilson does take a lot of sacks. So, this is, this is you, Yannick. Um, so, I, I mean, I would have him on my list of players under pressure since we're kind of evaluating him as the season goes along. All right, you done? And all, and, and yeah, and also it's like, you know, I, I think it was Brandon Thorne who posted just a cut-up of, like, Laramie Tunzel just owning Yannick Ngakwe on, on, you know, for, honestly for most of the game. And I know that – you know, he had – Unique was part of that big stop there down in the red zone, and it's like, okay, well, that's what you expect when you sign this guy, you, you trade a pick away for him, you give him a $12 million fully guaranteed contract. Like, yeah, that's what you expect. But honestly, like, Tom is one of the better better left tackles in the league. I, 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 I There's no denying that. But, um, you know, I, I just think that there's – yeah, that's probably – what you would expect that. I mean, that's a marquee matchup right there, but yet we didn't talk about it that much. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I, Searles after watching the tape sort of called Ngakwe like an average player for the position overall. And I agree like an above average yeah. pass rusher, but not an above average overall player. And after seeing him in a, in a small sample size here, I kind of agree with that. But um, when I was in Buffalo, they had Mario Williams and Mario Williams would kind of no show for a while. And then he would get like four sacks in a huge game and strip sack somebody. And you're like, okay, I can see why you pay Mario Williams. This is the game. Yannick Ngakwe, if you want to be here long-term and make $20 million uh, a year, then go sack Russell Wilson four times or something. So, all right. What's your No, I, I agree. I, I agree. Let me just say one thing on the Ngakwe thing, um, just because I think you're right, but he's, they didn't get this Daniil Hunter. They didn't get another Daniil Hunter and put him on the other side of yep. the defensive line. I think that sometimes maybe just because like we packaged them together and we talked about that and that's what they talked about, they want to be in the same sentence as a top pass rushing duo that maybe that's what you expect. But it's different build, different pass rushing style. One doesn't play the run very well at all. One doesn't want to get in the, get dirty. In, it's not about that life. It just doesn't feel like it. <laughs> but he's an excellent – He's Not about that run stuff in life. He's a, an excellent finesse pass rusher. That's what he's good for. But it's like if you were expecting Daniil Hunter, you're kind of disappointing yourself. If you, if, if you really thought that. I don't know if anybody honestly did, but, you know, yeah. I think the question is, what is it worth? Because if this sure. were 1990 where there was no free agency and you just, you'd just be happy with that, you'll bring back Daniel Hunter and you'll have two guys who are very good. But now, you know, you've got a salary cap and you've got free agency and, and he's going to want a lot of money. And so mm -hmm. I think you're asking yourself as we go along here with at least one eye on the future at all times during the season is, is he going to be worth paying him and Daniel Hunter uh, $40 million on, on the salary. Sure. 
And, and that's where it gets difficult for me. But if he goes out against Wilson and sacks and him three or four dominant. times, yeah. right, then you might say, I'll take your shortcomings because you're going to show up in big games and make big plays. Well, shoot. Like, should I have added him to the here instead of the corners? Well, that, I mean, you, it, if you want. No, let, let's just I think make the corners are under more pressure. Let's just make it a bonus because that would mess up my math. And honestly, we bonus don't have pressure on Unique and Gawker. Bonus pressure. Yes. Like, I don't know what a percentage would be, but, like, if you want to secure your contract, this is the type of game that you should do it in. Not necessarily against, you know, the weight that is carried from the Houston game against a team that was completely inept and quit on their coach there. Right. Uh, that's not going to carry as much weight. But anyways. Literally yes. uh, went against their coach. Amazing. Yeah. Good times. Um, okay, so I'm ready. <laughs> Um, so you gave me four people and I did not screw with the math and do fives or, you know, I kept it whole numbers today. You're learning, um, you're uh, adapting. Adapting. Obviously for me, the big, the most pressure is on Kirk Cousins. I put it at 40%. Um, we know this, we know that the, the formula for them to win games rests on Kirk's shoulders. Um, there's no way around it. Like your defense isn't bailing you out this year. They're not going to be able to pull off. I mean, they had some good red red zone stops. I mean, I'll give them that. And obviously a stop at the goal line last week. But do what you say that you want to do and be the, you know, be the unit. Be the one with the ball in your hands there at the end of the game. Do not give it to your – his biggest thing this week, don't give it to your defense. Like, if you're winning that game in the fourth quarter with 10 minutes left, do not put your defense back out on the field. Find a way to extend drives. Find a way that if you're in that situation to lead a game-winning drive. Like, remember how good – he was up until the game, like the chance to win the game last year, and then he threw that strange pass to Irv Smith on fourth and three. And, you know, we hit Treadwell on that <laughs> beach pass right. and you know, right. back-to-back drives where they scored. Like, be that version of Kirk Cousins. So I put him at the at the most um, because the heat of this fan base and the heat of, I think, this franchise, you know, it will bubble if they lose. And a lot of that blame, I think, will be pointed at Kirk Cousins. And you can talk about the offensive line until you're blue in the face. The formula is there for them to win. It will. I think personally, the formula is for Kirk to throw anywhere from like 22 to 27 passes. That is the sweet spot because you have Dalvin Cook. Rely on him. Use him a lot to start, you know, generating some offense. And then don't have Kirk throwing 30, 35 times a game. But still, I mean, Kirk doesn't draw up the plays. But you know, so I guess Gary should probably be in here too, but um, I put 40% on Cousins. That's the biggest one. So um, with your point about Cousins and the pressure that he's facing, and I agree, biggest amount of pressure. If the defense does the same thing where they give you a chance, which against Houston, yeah, they allowed some big plays without Harrison Smith. They'll have Harrison Smith now. And uh, But if they give you a chance with some third down success, with some red zone mm-hmm. success, and Kirk Cousins, position. Right, and if he does the same thing that he did last year or he does the same thing that we saw really against Tennessee when he had a chance to put a knife in their back, uh, then I think – we will get right back to that Trevor conversation that we've tried to sort of stuff under the rug for a week here uh, about the future quarterbacks, because that's the frustration that everybody has with him is that when you have gone up against good teams, what largely happens is even when they're in a position to win, he doesn't come through and he doesn't stick a knife in a team or he doesn't lead that game tying or game winning drive. And I know these are small things to focus on in terms of the big picture with cousins, but it's something that stands out big in your mind because those are the situations you paid him to come through. You could have Case Keenum not leading game-winning drives for you uh, for a lesser price and build up a better team. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. It screams out the kind of game that he's going to have the ball with a chance to go tie like against the Rams in 2018 or something like that, and he will have the most pressure on him, especially on national TV. So, all right, who's next? Well, I mean, I've been toying with this now. Um, I've been flip-flopping between Zimmer and the corners uh, as my next most pressured unit slash person. I'll stick with Zimmer. I won't change my math. I put 30% for Mike Zimmer. I think that's fair. Um, He's dealing with a depleted defense. But can he get out of his own way and not get super conservative when the team has a very big win, a very big lead, um, and can you just – can you keep your foot on the gas there? I know that last week when, when we were talking about that second half and those back-to-back drives where 
they churn out 148 yards and two touchdowns, and, and that's when they really took hold of the game. That's when he said, he told Gary, like, be aggressive. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if they're going to load up the box to, to, you know, stop the run, which they figured out by the third quarter, that's probably what they should do. Um, go ahead and air it out. Find Jefferson, find Zeeland. Go ahead and let Kirk um, put him in a situation where you can – run really good stuff off play action, utilize play action, build build a game plan around that there in the second half. But, you know, if Zimmer, if there are certain things that you're looking at coaching decision-wise where you're like, huh, you know, with Dalvin Cook too, that's one thing that I know has been a question I've been asked a lot. Why isn't Cook in, in, in this circumstance or this instance and all that? And obviously before that second touchdown by Madison on that, that series that I mentioned, Cook got hurt on that 15-yard run. He got shaken up, taken to the mm-hmm. sideline. But you didn't see a whole, whole ton of him there in the final 10 minutes. Um, but that's a coaching thing that I think falls on Mike Zimmer. Like, Dalvin Cook has to be in the game in the most critical moments because there were moments in Tennessee before he appeared to get shaken up at the 359 mark in the fourth quarter where you're like, where's Dalvin? Like, what is this rotation right now? So, like, that type of stuff I'd say would fall on Zimmer. And obviously the play of his defense. Like, I know you can use the excuse that, yeah, they're hurt, they're young, whatever. Eric Kendricks may or may not play, who knows. But I'm sorry. Like, I still think there's the most, the most logical explanation here is that 30% of that, of the pie, falls on the coach. Yeah, um, something I think about as you're laying it out there is that you scheme to the situations and, you know, you kind of have to hope everybody executes in all the other spots. Like you scheme for the goal line, you scheme for the third sure. downs. And they've been good at that. Like yeah. realistically, like they yep. have been, that's not been an issue this year for them. Right. Yeah. They, they have. That's the frustrating part. <laughs> the explosive right. plays suck, but like they're really good in the red zone. They're really good on third downs in the red zone. Like put the other stuff together. And that makes me think he's been doing his job on defense and it's been a lot of brain mistakes. But Pete Carroll was even talking about this, about not having the offseason the way it usually is and not being able to coach defense. And if one thing goes wrong, then the whole thing falls apart. And uh, I think that they've dealt with that with just the mental mistakes. And then last week, Harrison Smith being out. But the first half was very good for the most part. And so he definitely has an opportunity to dial up things that confuse Russell Wilson on third downs that stopped them in the red zone, which even in that game last year where they gave up the big play, as you mentioned, um, to DJ Moore, they did have a couple of red zone stops that kept them in the game and gave them another shot. So you only need one or two red zone stops, but you can't let them walk into the end zone every time. And that's where you have to scheme it up. Um, So I I agree with you. And also just the fact that, I mean, if you're talking about going to 0-7 against an opposing quarterback as, as a defensive coach, that someone's just owning you to that level, even if their team is better, even if they are 4-0, um, there's a lot of pressure on you to not be completely owned by sure. Russell Wilson. So, I, yeah, I think considering, too, yeah. right, considering you're facing the MVP right now, it's a big opportunity for Zimmer to be like, I, I'm still here. I am still the defensive genius here that can dial something up to slow this Absolutely. guy down. And your opportunity, I mean, it's right there laid out for you, for Zimmer. So who's next? Yeah, well – I should parlay that because I'm I, I am in a complete agreement that the next most pressured group should be the corners, but I'm honestly not going to do that. I'm going to say that the next most pressured person is Justin Jefferson. So 20% on Jefferson. This is your chance to show, yes, we know you're terrific and you have done things that, you know, even Kirk Cousins said, the stuff you can't teach. And you have given, you have been the security blanket in certain circumstances this year that cousins needed. This is your chance to be like, what's up? Like, <laughs> like I am a number one receiver. I am the best right, receiver right. in this, in this draft class of the Henry Ruggs, of the T Higgins, of the CD Lamb. You aren't hearing anything about those guys yet. You're hearing about Justin Jefferson. Yep. So this is your chance more. So I think just like stature probably in the NFL, but also like you can cement the Vikings as having the best receiving duo in the league. And I know you're doing it against kind of like a really bad pass defense, uh, but national like, TV, national TV, like a really good offense. You're gonna you're gonna have to go toe to toe, so that's on you. So I put Jefferson at 20. percent Yeah, he's a rookie, but like I'm not. You know, the training wheels are off. They're not going back on. 
So this is your chance then to, you know, ride the two wheeler, um, you know, in a straight line essentially and show that you can, you can hold your own and not just against bad defenses like Houston. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesesteak Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are also still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food will be on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of more than $15 when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. So I'm looking at the corners for Seattle, and uh, Trey Flowers has given up 196 yards on 15 completions so far and 130 quarterback rating, and Shaquille Griffin over 300 yards on 20 completions. That's 16 yards of completion against uh, Shaquille Griffin. I mean, these are guys that will give up big plays, and they take a lot of risks to try and get interceptions and things like that. But you can – get down the field against these guys, I think, and make plays. And like you said, for Jefferson, if you want your big moment to emerge as a superstar receiver, here it is. The guy that you're following up, Stephon Diggs, these were his kind of games that he would show up when it was national TV and have big games and, and dominate. And that's what they're looking for from a superstar with Jefferson. And it's, for us, a lot of pressure to put on somebody who's really playing their third game as a starter, but I know. he's at the bar very, very high right now for a break, another sort of different kind of level breakout to put himself on the national stage. And that's not, that's why I'm not ready to let him have like, a, okay, he's a rookie type moment. You know what I mean? Like the way that people talk about him, the way that he has performed to back up the hype that's being driven by his name right now. I think he's I think he's somebody who is capable of, of rising to that moment. Isn't Quentin Dunbar one of their other corners? I mean like I think is he hurt? I think is he, he might hurt. Be. Is he one of like the thirty people that were on there like um you yeah, know, on their injury report on Wednesday? The injury report, yeah. Like, I mean, it's just like they're so depleted when you think about that. Like, if, I, I thought he might have been one of those names that's on there, but then like, Jamal Adams isn't playing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot that you can pick apart here with this secondary and be in in you really should have a big game if this many guys are not playing. So that's one thing I look at. Um, I wouldn't say the most pressure, obviously, by any stretch is on him. So I only put him at 20%, but it's a moment for him to be like, I have arrived truly um, to where I, you know, he could potentially put himself in the very, very early rookie of the year conversation. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So that leaves completely 10% for the corners. 10% for the corners. And I think that with the corners, it's sort of the opposite of Jefferson. We expect you to get smoked. Yes. So you yes. probably will. And when you do, uh, the offense, it's their job to go score more. I mean, this could be a yeah. Big 12 game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. Like, I expect you to not play very well because you're going up against Russell Wilson, and he is terrific. So it's not saying, like, it doesn't matter, but it's also, like, you're injured to begin with. You haven't started the same group of corners at all this season. How are you really supposed to like, I mean, the car, the chips are already stacked. The deck is already stacked against you. So I don't give them, I mean, like, of course you, you expect Holton Hill to play better if he does play, like play better than he has throughout the first four games. But if this is the best that you can field right now, I don't see how much more you can do because I think it's very difficult to, to gauge progress throughout the course of the season when your guys are so young. Cameron Dantzler has only played two games so far. I mean, glad he's pulling double duty between slot and court and, um, and outside and like still kind of learning the positions. Like it's a lot. And Mike Hughes has a potential to return for his first game since 
um, you know, week two, because he's been out, right, since since the indie game. He missed yep. Tennessee and he missed last week. Like, so what's he going to look like when he comes back dealing with injury? I don't know. Yep, and they have three receivers that they're going to throw out there all the time, and there's going to be a lot that they have to do. Um, okay, so what are you picking for this contest? I actually just submitted um, my my um, pick for this game, and I know that we've been talking about path to victory path and all to this other stuff, and we're making it sound like the Vikings are going to win. Yeah. Um, but like, sorry. So this team actually like look this up because people yell at me about gambling stuff, and I'm just like not, um, you know, it's not something I typically take into account. But like the Seahawks are four and zero against the spread. Um, which I believe was seven for this game. It opened, a line opened up at seven and a half. Um, so the spread is seven. I have Seattle covering. So if there's any gambling people, you're welcome. Uh, but I actually, I picked the uh, Seahawks to win 38 to 31. I am at a loss with gambling stuff and I'm sorry. I just don't understand it. I I wish I did. I mean, well, I understand it. I, I don't. It's not my primary focus. Let's just say that. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand it. Even when I'm listening to, like, our buddy Eric Eager does the PFF Forecast podcast, they talk a lot about gambling yeah. in football. And they'll say, well, you know, that's a minus 200 for this or that. And I'll be like, okay, sure. That must mean something. <laughs> like, I'm just – I'm not good at it. And like you said, not much of a, a focus. But I think that's a great score to go with. And it's sort of – I mean, of, they're, like, averaging – 30 mid 30s a game so I think it'll be another very high scoring affair and the Vikings have shown they can put up 30 points a game they can but can the defense stave off Russell Wilson probably not I'm gonna go for it I'm going for it you're picking them oh my god I'm gonna pick them I'm going for it I'm gonna say that the 12th man not being there evens the playing field and the Vikings win 31-28 going for it okay Keep the season alive and drive everyone who wants Trevor Lawrence absolutely insane is basically yeah. – uh, not that I'm saying you're wrong for wanting Trevor Lawrence. It's just that if that happens, I think a lot of those people will be like, no, now there's no chance. But have you seen the Jets? There's no chance anyway. Uh, yeah, I know. Let's, let's wrap up with one quick thought from you on this. Um, Titans, what do you do? Like <laughs> just push them into the ocean and like float them out to sea? Like what do you do with a team that refuses – to pay attention to the protocols and continues to have COVID spread. Well, every other team in the league, even the ones that have had, you know, a person or two people test positive have been able to contain the virus. The Tennessee Titans cannot. They're the only team in the league with that problem. What do you do with them? I'll strip them of draft picks. I'm not talking about a fifth rounder. Uh, I think that you have to take away their first round draft pick. Um, You know, that's, that to me is where you start. Now, do you go back and do you strip them of their win against the Minnesota Vikings? Do you, um, you know, what, what do you do uh, with like their, with their wins this season? Do you make them forfeit certain games? Do you retroactively go back and say, you didn't beat Jacksonville. You didn't beat the Vikings. I don't know who else they played in the first, like whoever they opened with. Um, I don't know, but I think that, the only way to get through to people, and it's why the NFL a week or two ago put out, once this whole thing popped off, put out much harsher language in their memos about you're not going anywhere during the bye week, no trips to Mexico this year, yeah. like you're staying put because that's the easiest way. Take away, take away temptation. But what do these people really listen to? Draft capital. They yep. do not want their – because look, like well, you're, you're a team like the Houston Texans. You don't have any draft capital. It is literally <laughs> the currency of kings in the yep. NFL. Yep. Um, if you take away someone's first-round pick for being stupid and being negligent and being reckless and being callous and being, you know, just defiant, it's all get out of, well, we're going to, you know, our facility shut down, but you guys, it's like, we're going to turn a blind eye and you guys are going to go work out at high school, then you deserve, I looked it up, they've got a first, second, third, fourth, I mean, they've got, so far, at least it looks like they've got a pick in every, like, I don't know if they've traded anything away, but um, actually, no, they do not have a six-round pick. They traded their um, 2020 seventh-round pick to the Chiefs for a 2021 sixth-round pick during the draft. I don't know if I read that correctly. I'm looking at something. I don't know. Honestly, forget it. Rounds five through six, don't even touch those. Hit them where it hurts. Yep, Get rid I of their agree. first round pick. 
get rid of their second round pick. I'm sorry. You guys have been negligent. If if Brady's going to get the the Patriots in trouble for deflating balls and also get a four game suspension on top of that, yeah. the least thing you can do is take away one of their draft picks. Um, like they did with the Patriots that year, right? Like when during Deflategate, they took away one of their draft picks, but really hit them where it hurts here because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Take this seriously. Stop acting reckless. Um, because that meathead nature of football of we're gonna beat the virus and don't be scared to get don't be scared of it. Like it doesn't apply to us. The virus bends the football. That is the most arrogant thing in the world. And mm-hmm. I look at Mike Vrabel and I really like I don't know Mike Vrabel uh, from Adam. But, like, I've looked at him the last few years and like, man, this guy's a good coach. I'd want to play for him. I mean, just kind of hearing how his players talk about him, he seems like he's got the Patriots system, of course, but he's not going to do things in that shady-ass Patriots way. <laughs> well, you defied me here, and I am disappointed. Um, you lost a fan in me because I thought that maybe he could be, like, the anti-Bill O'Brien, the anti Matt Patricia, the anti-Josh McDaniels, who tries to do everything the Bill Belichick way when they start their own team. And it seemed like he was doing things his own way. But this, you just went off the rails with me here. You lost me because this is callous and it's reckless and it's stupid. And you deserve to be in as much trouble. You can't tell me like this whole, you know, in college football, when there's a massive recruiting scandal and there's violations galore and the head coach can be like, well, I I wasn't recruiting these guys. Like (laughs) they've got their area recruiters. Like it wasn't on me. Hugh Freeze used that excuse at Ole Miss. He still got canned. Um, if you're the head coach of an NFL football team, you damn sure better know what the hell's going on in your program. Um, yeah. cause even if you're not directly signing off on it, you should know what is going on under your nose. He's responsible for this. And I think honestly, he needs some punishment too. And holding workouts when it was very clearly against the rules is like you said, peak of arrogance to try and go hide, try and go hide at some high schools. Like no one will see us here. And then, you know, well. Yes, they did. So, uh, yeah, I, whatever penalty that they hand down, I agree with you. First round pick seems like the, the best, but if they can't get this under control because they have not, uh, gone through what you're supposed to do when you do have an outbreak, cause we knew this, Eric Sugarman knew this, that there would be positive tests. It's how you handle it. And the systems are in place to contain it. And they, and they didn't, they just, they, just came to Minnesota and played the game anyway when they knew they had people in their building with COVID. That was reckless. That was unfair to the Minnesota Vikings. And completely. That, and Can you that, imagine if someone would have gotten sick? Like, yeah. sorry to interrupt you here. Like, they got so freaking lucky that the Vikings didn't have a massive outbreak because yep. then you're pro- you're potentially talking about a legal lawsuit. Like a legal lawsuit. That's like a double. It's a double nugget. Double whatever. Just but keep like, going. Just keep going on the rant. It's fine. No, I mean, you're talking about the negligence of harming someone physically by getting somebody sick. I mean, not to get all political on you, but when Trump went to New Jersey, that's one of the first things I saw about a New Jersey state law. If you knowingly are passing off a virus or an infection to somebody, Mm -hmm. that could get you in serious legal trouble. Yep. Um, I don't know what the law is in Minnesota. Somebody listening to the podcast, look it up and let me know. But, like, had they come here, And maybe, I don't know if there's anything that the Vikings could even follow up on. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe they just want it to quietly go away. Um, If somebody had gotten sick, like, just the the attitude I think you'd have here of, this is not just a game. You're screwing with somebody's livelihood, potentially. We don't know the long-term effects of this thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just cheating. It's not just, you know, it's like, that's like a bounty in a way. Like, that's like, I'm not saying it's bounty gate, but it's like, it's as egregious in a way where you are recklessly being like, we don't give a bleep. We're going to play. We have to play these guys. I don't care if they're infected. We'll figure out the consequences later. I don't care that the NFL is a week to week league and you have to win one game before you move on to the next. You knew guys were sick. You knew that the coach was sick and you still did not, take care of this the way that you needed to you deserve what you get and you deserve the hammer, the hammer to come down on you and from that perspective if they made them ineligible for the playoffs or something oh yeah fine I'm all for it yeah and you There's know all- everybody in the league everybody in the league is going to be for it and here's the thing i'm not saying that the tennessee titans are the spawn of satan by any stretch there are 31 other teams in the nfl that are lucky that they either didn't get caught or haven't gone down that path yet because what do you expect? You're putting hyper competitive alpha males mm-hmm. in a situation where you're where you're saying like don't cheat, wink wink. Like 
that's gone on for the history of the league of like, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Everybody's bending the rules to make them work to how they can get away with, but not in a pandemic, not with COVID, not with a virus. That's just the one thing you don't F with, in my mm-hmm. opinion. So, like, I honestly think if it wasn't the Titans, it might have been another team at some point that was bending the rules that we would have found out about at some point. The Titans just happened to have a massive outbreak and get caught. It's the NFL Marlins, basically. Um, and yes, 1,000%. Except who was the other team that was going out to the casino? Wasn't that the Cardinals in Cardinals, July? Yep, like, yep. They went up in Milwaukee. They're like in, <laughs> like in Kohler at a casino. A bunch of idiots. Like, we haven't had that happen yet. So there's at least just only been one Marlins-esque um, team in the NFL. Yep. And after that, Major League Baseball got its bleep together. And I think uh, we'll see that in the NFL, that if they get hit with serious penalties, then other teams will pay attention. So that's the best thing you have to do. All right. Football, path to victories, viruses, the usual stuff. Courtney, uh, great stuff as always. And we will talk again very soon. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.